0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For 10% off your Squarespace account for three months, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP and use the offer code TWIP7. This week on TWiF, Britain censoring airbrushed photos, facial recognition for backgrounds, and Google Images adds EXIF data. It's Saturday, July 30th, 2011, and this is TWiF. And welcome back to TWiP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me today on the show are Mr. Ron Brinkman and Andy Biggs, back from the bush. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey guys. All right, Andy. You, where were you? Uh, you you survived again. You know, you Where <laughs> were you in Madagascar this time? What was <laughs> what was going on?
1: No, I was I spent 3 weeks out in northern Botswana. Nice. It's the winter down there and it was great to get out of the Texas heat and ex- have some wonderful 40 degree mornings. It was awesome. I was going to say wow. what does
0: winter look like in Botswana? It's like it's not is it slightly sweltering or how does it feel?
1: Oh no, no, it's like a typical day would be 40 to 70 degrees, something mm, like that. Nice. Yeah. It's very very pleasurable. Wow.
0: Any any memorable award-winning shots out of this one?
1: Shots no, but memories absolutely. Um we had uh some interesting behavior. We had a big uh pack of hyenas chasing a uh a family of elephants which um Took place over about a two and a half hour period, and they were trying to get after a little six month old baby elephant.
2: Oh, wow.
1: Oh. Yeah, it was kind of disheartening, but it was its, it's nature. Hey, it's the circle
0: it. of life. Circle of life. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. Did you, so, did they get them? Uh We disengaged before Uh-oh. we found that answer.
0: Oh. We had, we had some later. <laughs> Better not with, to know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That's interesting. I mean, it's like, do you engage and stop the the hyena from completing the circle of life, or do you just photograph it?
1: You cannot intervene. You should not intervene. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, yeah.
0: and you'd probably don't want to intervene with a hyena trying to get a meal, right? Uh, you, mean, you mean thirteen of them? Thirteen, because <laughs> you may become the meal, right? <laughs> exactly. That's yes. awesome. Cool. And Ron Brinkman, what have you been? Uh, what have you been up to? Anything exciting?
2: And, uh, I've been on since I was up hiking in Banff, hasn't? Haven't oh I? yeah, that's right. You know, I think the last time you said, I'm
0: not sure if you said you were going or you had gone. I don't remember.
2: Yeah. In which case, if I've already talked about it, then we shouldn't talk about it again, now, should we? <laughs>
0: How about this? Any exciting <laughs> trips planned in the future? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have nothing planned, but I'm I'm planning to plan. Nice, nice. I, I
2: definitely need to do another uh, big one. Sometimes. How often this, do you travel, year? Ron?
0: Are you like, do you like say every quarter I'm going someplace
2: different? No, uh, it's or not what? that often, but it's you know, if I don't get out of the country, at least. Uh, Two, three times a year, at least. Sometimes more. Wow. Thinking about a big one. I, I'm thinking about a trip to, to Africa, actually, Andy. So I'm gonna have to pick your brain at some point. I was gonna say I know a guy that might yeah. be able to.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know a guy who spends three months a year there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You should you should talk
0: to Andy and you should talk to um, uh, Pixelated Image. You know our yeah. friend David Dusherman yeah, yeah. and oh, uh, yeah. head out with him on his one of his adventures. I think mean, he's he's not calling them workshops anymore. He's calling them adventures.
1: Yeah, David and I keep on kicking around the idea of teaming up and running a safari together. Someday, Why
2: not? Why not? It's that like wonder twins. Come on. That is. I'll, I'll come along and carry bags.
1: Yeah, <laughs> totally.
0: I'll, I'll shine lenses and you know whatever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, that'd yes. be great. Yeah, I had a I did an interview with David on a on a past episode, and uh, you know he was talking about his accident and all that stuff. It was. It was uh inspirational to say the least in, yeah. in terms of, you know, how we're like, Oh my god, I gotta do this, oh, I gotta take out the garbage, I'm so you know. And David is like, Oh yeah, I fell this long distance, landed on my feet, broke both of them, had to be airlifted, yeah, all of this stuff and he just still has a positive attitude about the whole thing and is raring to get back up and go shoot again. So
1: it's awesome. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let that be a lesson to all of us. And it's also a lesson that his company, Craft and Vision, um, is still operating, you know, beyond, you know, doing very well, even though he's, you know, somewhat incapacitated. So he's built that thing so that he and his partner can operate it from wherever on the planet they happen to be and uh, just keep it rolling. So I love that stuff. Very cool. All right guys let's jump into story number one, and this comes from our friends over at Huffington post um, so apparently some ads have been air banned for for uh being airbrushed or misleading have you Have you seen this, Ron? I was
2: particularly what yeah. get your
0: thoughts on this because I know you're like
2: what <laughs> well you know I, yeah, having a, a background in you know doing visual effects and intentionally uh, making people look better than they are mm-hmm. Um I, this, this it's interesting to me. So the story is that the apparently in the UK, the, there is some organization that has the power to say these ads cannot be shown because they are too manipulated, that they don't present an accurate uh, a portrait of what a person would look like. And it, this therein lies the problem, right? Yeah. yeah, and this particular one was Julia Roberts and the Christy Turlington uh, ads for L'Oreal makeup. Uh, and I guess this organization can just say, you know, there's there's too much BS going on in this thing, and we're going to ban it. And I and I sort of get the uh, I don't have a definitive feeling where I would stand on this. I mean, I definitely approve this idea that uh, people should be aware that what they're seeing is not necessarily real people. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of do you think people think that there.
0: though? I mean, like if you're looking at a a people oh. magazine and you see this celebrity that just looks flawless, even though they're 900 years old, do you really do well, and, people and, really think, wow, she looks great for being you know 72? Yeah.
2: And and I, and I guess that's actually really the the main point. I mean, you're actually you're nailing it, Frederick. Which is, do people is has there ever been a study? The reason why they do this, of course, is to sort of prevent people and particularly young girls from looking at this feeling like they have you know there's this unachievable body image that's out there and then they do crazy things and you know to the point of effectively a mental illness trying to achieve something that's just not possible and so I get the, I get the sense behind it and and certainly it's it's all for the right reasons but I would like to know have, have you ever done a study that you know actually correlates eating disorders with People looking at advertising and feeling like that's what they've got to achieve. To I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's one of those really slippery slopes where the government making arbitrary decisions about where do you draw the line for what's allowed and not allowed is is a, gets gets a bit creepy for me, I guess.
0: Yeah, Andy. Andy, what about you? Do you? Do you I mean, where's the line, do you, or yeah, is there a line?
1: You know, I, I guess maybe i just a little um, real about how how much touch-up is done in the quote unquote editorial world, not editorial, but more of just the, you know the the ad advertising world. And uh, I guess I don't care because I just assume it's all fakery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I am. That's
2: the side. Yeah, of the place I, I am. think we do too, but we're clearly more sophisticated. Yeah, kind of and hey, speak for yourself.
1: <laughs> I right? think this is kind of where politics start in, entering this. But it, it's like now you've got somebody looking over everybody's shoulder, telling you what you can and can't do. And I I tend to be more of a hands-off kind of guy. Um, So I I feel it's a little overreaching in in my opinion. Um, But I think it's it's a good dialogue to have. It's a valuable dialogue to have.
0: Yeah, I mean like it, this kind of reminds me of the the whole controversy, I don't know, how was it 10 years ago with video games and and labeling them as explicit and then what determines if it's explicit or not? Is it blood or you know even even with the Motion Picture Association of America, you know, with them the the film rating scale, you know, what determines if this is an R? And it's somewhat arbit- arbitrary, right? It's like if you show this much skin in a certain amount of time or if you see this much of the genitals and it's X and you know it's all this different things that some small committee comes up with and then labels it for the rest of us you know are we are we Ron are we heading in this direction for photography especially in magazines am I gonna see a people magazine or whatever some other magazine that has a lot of airbrush people in it with a little tag on the bottom that says uh, warning this image has been retouched beyond belief or at least these pixels have been touched
1: yeah,
2: I, you know, there's just not a good answer to it. I, I think, I think, I mean, anytime we have these sort of strange moral issues that are in, living infernally in the gray area, you kind of want to be the person that can say, "Well, here's the answer." You know, here's here's how this should be done. And I think if you look ahead a few years to where very few things are not sort of web connected, and you almost can't, you know, you're not looking at a magazine anymore; you're looking at something. I could see something where there's kind of this requirement that there's a little tag somewhere in a corner where you can click on it. and, Get the full story on any photo you look at and understand what's real and what isn't. Yeah, um, I just think that that's it's it's a fine line where the government should be determining what's acceptable and not. And I'm not quite sure that I don't know. I, I, my gut feeling is that this is a little bit too far, but I don't know.
0: I don't know, Andy. It seems to me like the government has other things to be yeah. focusing on <laughs> right I agree, now. Yeah. I mean, but,
1: the, but this is not the U.S. This is United Kingdom. At that's the moment. right. That's mm-hmm. right. That's yeah. correct. Even them,
0: they have other things. To be, they have <laughs> yeah. other things to focus on rather than, hey, did this retoucher apply a little bit too much Gaussian blur? <laughs> you <know>? Yep, it's <laughs> true. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it is. It's a slippery slope, you know. And I still maintain, you know, like I've been saying for years, pixels were ma- intended to be punished, and people. In my humble opinion, people should uh, realize that we are living in a Photoshop age. And anything you see, any image you see, unless you took it yourself, you should just automatically assume that it's suspect and that yeah, things I, have I, happened to it.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, clearly. And, you know, it seems like maybe – I mean, first of all, I, I really would like to go back to the science and say, first of all, you know, show me a study that actually proves or at least indicates – that people are taking these seriously, you know, that that there are women having uh, body dysmorphia issues because of it. But then also it seems like it might just be more effective to spend your time, you know, these same people that are paid to Look at every single ad that comes out. Why don't you just take some of that money and put it towards education campaigns that run in the you know the tube stop next to these things or something?
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's a direct correlation with with revenue from plastic surgery clinics and <laughs> and the girly retouched magazine images. You know, yes. They make my stomach look like this shot. You know that a, that a retoucher took 15 hours retouching. Yep, I don't know. All right. Let's move on to story number two. This is from um, a site O Gizmo. That's O H G I Z M O dot com,
2: which is a great site, by the way. Ah, I love that it's, site. Yeah, it's, it, it's a uh, it's a nice alternative to the uh, the, the behemoth, you know, Gizmodo and in, in gadget.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, definitely check it out. We'll put a link to them and this article in the show notes, so you can add it to your bookmark list. But uh, they had a story up that we're we're talking about now called. Basically, it's about uh, Leica. Is it Leica or Leica? I always get it wrong. Leica. I'm gonna say Leica. Leica. I don't Leica. own one, so I'm allowed to, pro- <laughs> I'm allowed to mispronounce it. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to say Leica. No. Uh, so the uh, Leica lens holder that also acts as a camera stabilizer. Andy, have you seen this article, and what do you think about
1: it? I've seen the article, and I've actually used this product oh. uh, num- a number of years Seriously. ago. Seriously. Yeah, on an on an M um, six, it's kind of cool. It's kind of bulky, but I would not sell it as a stabilizer. I would just say this is a way to carry your second lens. Yeah,
2: it looks like the dorkiest thing ever to me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's not it's not. Are I, you I calling
2: Andy it, a dork live
1: uh, on the
0: show?
2: Come on. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, it wasn't my camera. It wasn't my extra lens. But but um, it, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's uh, it it's it's intriguing. It. It's intriguing. Um. Describe well, describe
0: it. Describe it. What is it for the people that are like, what is this thing?
1: Thank you for for reminding me. So, it is an accessory that attaches to the bottom of an M series, like a rangefinder, that it, that holds a second lens. Um, and that bayonet mount basically attaches to the lens uh, on the bottom of this camera, and you can hold it almost like a little mini monopod. Um, and supposedly, it's it's got. You know, two main features. Number one, it allows you to carry a second lens without having to put it in your pocket. And number two, this this item sticking below your camera acts like a stabilizer. But I wouldn't I wouldn't sell it as a stabilizer. I would just sell it as, hey, this is a way to to carry around your second lens without having to bring a big bag.
0: Or a way to, if you drop your camera, you can trash two lenses for the price (laughs) of what I was thinking. It's
1: like (laughs) exposure.
0: You you can trash two lenses and a body. You know.
1: Well, my take on this is that, uh, like a rangefinders, they really are about traveling small, traveling light, and not being so visible with your camera in a public place. Yeah. Um, and this kind of puts you back into that world of, hey, this guy's got a big camera sitting in front of his face.
0: Totally. This begs to be like this. This wants people to come up to you and say, "Hey, what's that? <laughs> you know, yeah. what kind yeah. of camera is that? You know?" And you have the conversation. Meanwhile, you miss the shot.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: So, Ron, you're not you're not buying one of these. I take it. I
2: think so. I think we've all concluded that this one's a thumbs down.
0: Well, you, I haven't <laughs> tried it, so I'm looking at it, and I well, you're right. I don't think I would. Try
2: I don't, you know all right, whatever. It's it's.
0: I, I'm like Andy. I'm, like I'm Andy, actually, I'm very svelte
2: when I go out. You know, I'm yeah, like I I'm just want as little as possible. I'm surprised it's a like a product even. It looks like when it, Come on, I mean, if like it was not selling this, and this was some weird, you know. Uh, a Hong Kong knockoff device that you would read about and some I, I you just became like, oh come on, really? <laughs> and the fact that Leica puts their logo on it and sells it for wait, how much? Oh uh, one
1: eighty to two hundred bucks. 200 bucks. Oh. Wow. <laughs> well for actually for a Leica product it's not that expensive. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: So, you know, it's it's the uh, hundred and seventy dollars for the logo and then the ten dollars yeah. of materials. Yeah. So, so Andy, when you used yours,
0: what was what what was your experience? I mean, was it was it something that you just tried once and then threw back in the bag, or do you're like, you know what, I could actually add this to my my safari kit?
1: No, no, I I I was actually uh, borrowing a friend's M6, and I had two lenses with me. I think I had a 50 millimeter, and then like a 35 Summicron, and I put the Summicron underneath, and which is not a very large lens. Um, but at the end of the day it 's just kind of bulky i 'd rather carry that i mean like a lenses for the m, m series they're they 're small already it 's not yeah. that big of a deal to just just kind of carry around a small pouch or if it 's winter you just put it in your put a second lens in your in your um, coat pocket. Yeah,
0: and it Shop. kind of negate, negates the uh, the whole idea of I have this really cool non Sony Nikon Canon camera here that you don't have, and therefore I'm cooler. But hey, you know I, I dorked it out with this thing on the bottom, <laughs> so it kind of takes away the cool factor of it. All right, guys, on to story number three, Andy. This one's squarely targeted at you, and it's about it's from Pop Photo, and it's about facial recognition for photo backgrounds. You know, I so in particular why is, <clears throat> why is it this is targeted at you? I'm just curious. Do you care? I mean, do you care basically this is saying that there's we're gonna there's uh we're there's we're working on this technology or the intelligence advanced research military division is working on an initiative called Finder that will allow uh, basically the facial recognition that, that the government uses in airports, etc., to also identify backgrounds in images. So you take a picture and you say, oh, here's Andy. And he has his, there's Kilimanjaro in the background, you know, and it'd be able to identify Kilimanjaro rather than just saying, oh, there's Andy in the photo. It'd be able to say, here's Andy Biggs. Uh, he's on the watch list, and he's in Kilimanjaro. Is that, uh, is that of use to you? No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> to be honest with you, I, mean, I you went know, through all I
0: mean, that, and all he says, is "No." <laughs> well, yeah. the,
1: the, 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 obviously, there's military implications tracking down terrorists. Where did they take the photographs? That 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 makes sense. Um, will this boil down into consumer devices or software? Um, I think eventually some of it will, absolutely. Uh, right now there's there's a um, – I believe it's a Google technology that allows for all these different millions of photographs with through Google Images to – let's say you're uh, in Paris photographing the Louvre from all these different angles. It actually can aggregate all these different photographs, and um, it can you – know, you can tell where they were taken. Yeah, um, That's kind of cool, but does it really – does it mean much to me, or did, will it? Nah.
0: Yeah, like I was. I always think about that stuff. And I, you Ron, you're the curmudgeon here, so I'm like, what? Uh, Like, who would use this? Like, no, we, I'm all for it. You, I think it's awesome. Okay, why? You're well, just saying that because I, you knew I was going to say you were the curmudgeon. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: first of all, okay, I think it's I think it's inevitable. I mean, I've done a lot of uh, stuff related to sort of this uh, analyzing image data and figuring out things you can do with it. And, you know, this in particular is stuff that's already kind of being done. Like Andy mentioned, you know, Google has some tools and uh, Microsoft has some tools for kind of looking at images and doing a better job of figuring out what's in the picture. And face recognition is one of those. But like this article says, this is sort of like face recognition, but for places. Mm -hmm. And I can totally see, I mean, I think it's just, it's kind of like why, why would you shoot with um, GPS data, which I still Part don't. It, which, you know, and, and because it's still kind of a pain in the ass to do. Yep. But you know, when I was up in in uh, Canada on this most recent trip, I I don't have GPS on my camera, but I would pull out, pull out my phone every so often and take a GPS photo. And you know, the tool I use for post processing, Aperture, will kind of go through and say, "All right, this photo was taken in such such location, and so all these other photos that were taken about at the same time are probably in the same location." And it makes it a little bit easier towards doing locating stuff. But I don't know. I mean, I guess you can argue that what's the point and that you should just look at the photo for its own sake. But Mm -hmm. I find it kind of useful sometimes to be able to, you know, sometimes I look at a photo. I'm like, where the hell was that? And I want to know. If Uh, anybody's doing that kind of, if anybody's using GPS, it's going to be Andy. Andy, are are
0: are you tagging every image you shoot so you can go back later and look at it on the map?
1: No, I'm not. However, I am keeping GPS logs of everywhere I go when I'm taking photographs, but right. I do it for a different reason. I do it for my customers so they, they can do this themselves – um, as well as they can, kind of look. I, I'll deliver a file to them, uh, a Google Earth file. so They can see all the different game drives we went on in Africa. Mm.
0: Yeah. And how are you doing that? Just just for the people that aren't familiar with with capturing a log, you have a you have a GPS yeah, device with a, you that you just turn on and it tracks every move you make, right?
1: Exactly. I've got a cheap um, fifty nine dollar. It's an A mod A M mm-hmm. O D device. It's uh, you can find them on Amazon for yeah. about fifty nine dollars, yeah, and it just takes. Yeah, it just takes a uh, takes a reading every ten seconds the way I've configured it, and uh, it's kind of nice for people to know where they've been.
0: And how do, how long does that last? You have to it, it's got to last for at least two weeks, right?
1: Yeah, but you know, I, I would say I don't know exactly how much data it it creates, but I think it holds either two gigs or four gigs internal memory, and I'm probably using five hundred megs of it.
2: Wow. It's more the batteries though, right? Yeah, that's know. what I was thinking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the batteries uh the batteries last around fifteen hours and, and for some absolute brilliant reason, they decided to put three triple A batteries in there. It's like <laughs> <three>. <laughs> and yeah, most most travel battery chargers have to be charged in, in pairs. Yeah. yeah. Um and oh. it's like, Oh come on guys, could you just put two double A's maybe? You know, make the unit a little bit bigger or Yeah. A little frustrating.
0: I mean, you could just stop by a Seven Eleven out there and get one, right? Sure. Get some
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of bringing rechargeables because I don't want to leave, I don't want to leave uh, dead alkalines out in the field. Or uh, have
0: you ever done like a walkthrough of like like right before you leave to get on the plane to go on one of these safaris? Like, okay, this is all my stuff. This is all the stuff that I have. Have you ever done anything like that?
1: Yeah, actually, I, I have a very hardcore um, packing list that I make for myself, and w- when I go on Safari, this is what I take. I know it's in all the different bags, and when I get back, everything goes back into a big duffel into my storage closet in my office, and it's ready for the next time.
0: Like I want to see a video, though. I want to see. I want to see you set up a camera or video camera on a tripod. And just pull out, like, this is what Alex and I did on this last Twip Live that we did a couple days ago. We just went through and we we had the camera crew there and Alex had his, like, standard travel bag and he just pulled everything out of it and talked about, this is this thing and this is why I take it with me, you know? And I did the same thing. It turns out it was interesting because it turned out his bag was, you know, Alex, right? So he had everything. <laughs> I think he had a, like a little black hole, interdimensional portal in there because stuff just kept coming out.
1: You know? That's awesome. And then well, my absolutely. bag
0: was very slim. It was like a, a body, four lenses, some strobes, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Well, I did a I did a uh, a video like that on my blog a couple months ago when I was in Tanzania, but it was really for. Um, to show what was in my Guri gear bag, um, here's how I transport my gear to Africa, and then this is what I do when I'm there. Oh, okay. Um, and but it wasn't. I didn't include things like what's in my duffel bag, what's in my camera, uh, my uh, my computer bag, and yeah. stuff like that. I I should do that. Thank you for the recommendation.
0: Yeah, that would be great. I, I mean, I would love to know that stuff. You know, and then put a put a blog post on your website, and then you know use affiliate links for every little thing that. You, <laughs> that <you> <laughs> <have>. <laughs> So, um, yeah, just just do it. So I think we lost Ron Brinkman. Skype kicked him off. He didn't like his curmudgeon-ness So we're Uh gonna we're gonna wait for him to. uh, We'll we'll just keep going. We'll wait for him to reappear in the Skype list, and I'll re-add him back into the conversation. Sounds good. But until then, this next story um, is is from Petapixel. Are you familiar with that
1: site? Andy? Very much so, very much so. Aren't Google.
0: they great? that's an awesome site. I love that site. We have all these great sites, so you don't have to do anything. We just like, talk about all this other stuff that's happening in the, uh, the photosphere. But they reported on Google Images now containing EXIF data, so, which, is, which is very interesting. So is this, is this useful to you? I mean, are you are – you, Yes. Why, and yes. Tell, tell me why it's useful versus Flickr.
1: This is what I've been wanting for so long. Um, my photographs have unique metadata associated with them, which it may be my copyright, mm-hmm. which may be the locations where I shot, or different keywords that somehow associate are associated with a photograph. Um, this is one of the main reasons why I use PhotoShelter for my uh, stock. Image collection. Yeah. There, it makes some of the images easier to find. So in uh, license, so there's a there's a revenue component for me. So for Google to do that, that's awesome. I mean, I, I love that approach. Um, but it also means we need to pay attention to what we put in our metadata because right. we could put things in there we may not want other people to see.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, like internal notes. Um, but just, I'm not sure what fields they're going to um, show. Do you know yet?
0: I I don't know I, I don't know but I know like uh, what are you using to manage them? Is you using Lightroom or Aperture or what? yeah
1: I'm a, I'm a Lightroom guy I do know Aperture because I need to for my customers mm-hmm. uh, but I personally use Lightroom.
0: So there's when you're when you're manipulating the the data in there uh, you can specify what gets pumped out, right? Correct. Now, Correct. now are you like do you have like okay this is a public consumption preset? And this is an Andy preset, and depending on where the image is going, you choose one of those, or or do you just like okay, I'm a, it's set. Everything's getting the same data.
1: I, everything gets the same data because I just assume that that
2: you the, want everything.
1: Yeah, but any data that I would put in there, I wouldn't. I can't think of any reason to have private metadata associated yeah. to an image. I think you know. I think
2: the the, yeah. the big sort of uh, potential gotcha is this. Uh, issue of of whether or not you include gps data in certain photos mm-hmm. yeah. you know it goes back to the previous conversation of it but eventually it may not matter that you'll be able to analyze the background and know where a photo was taken at least a, in a public place but you know, I, I i still think that a lot of people aren't realizing how many of the photos that they're taking in their living room on their iphone and then shooting up to the web contain information about where their living room is
0: exactly like hey look at that new brand new sony 55 inch display on the wall um and this is where it is (laughs) and look here's this person's twitter feed they're on vacation you know let me go get it
1: yeah yeah well or or or, yeah or you could have two photographs hey here they are in london and here's another photograph of them in their backyard duh Mm -hmm. they know where the home is and they know where you are right now yeah. yeah So you know. Yeah, that's scary stuff. Yeah, uh, that actually is bad. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, there's people will find a way regardless, but don't make it easy for them. No. Oh, Ron is back. As you heard, well, Ron, we lost you for a second. I think Skype didn't. They, they yeah, decided like, to edit you. I, I, I can't.
2: I can't blame Skype. It's my computer is uh, getting a little bit long in the tooth. <laughs> and you know, little...
0: there are some new computers out there that uh, I know. You I can know. Purchase. It's hard to
2: justify you know, uh, my, a new Mac Pro. When you know, it's got enough power for what I need to do. Hey, go in the opposite
0: direction, man. I'm telling you. I'm, I am I just went the air route. and well, I, have, uh,
2: I have an air also, but my big machine with the 30-inch monitor hooked up to it where I do all my aperture oh, photo editing right. and stuff. It's, I, I, I was looking into, you know, getting like a Mac Mini or something as a, a replacement for this big Mac Pro because it's almost there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think that those desktop Macs, aside from the iMac, are, are getting long in the tooth. Andy, what are you using for your when you're back at home base and you're doing all your post-processing?
1: I have a Mac Pro for the desktop. Yeah. Are you going to yeah, stick I, with
0: it? I just think like the iMacs are so elegant and so powerful. Why would you have all that other stuff? I don't know.
1: Good question. Um, I've got four internal two-terabyte drives.
0: Oh, that's why.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, <laughs> exactly. Um yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't like the glossy iMac screens. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Okay. I think the expandability is still kind of you know this Mac Pro I've gotten. I've replaced all the memory in it. I've got. I've been upgrading hard drives as time went on. I can put four drives into it if I need to. If I want a new video card, I can put it in there. It's also just really easy to do it. You know, it's one little lever on the back and popping it open and slide a drive in and out. So th- there's still reasons for it, but. When I mean, you look at this hunk of metal compared to some of the little tiny computers out there that are so much more powerful and it's kind of like where's the where's the the inflection point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you look at the new Now we're going off on a tangent, but you look at the new Air. I'm looking at that thing. Oh. I, have a, I have the new 11-inch. I just got yeah. it in a couple days ago. It's nice. I'm looking at that and I'm looking at like for like my iMac that I'm recording on right now, for example. I'm like the technology in that little sliver of metal is Kind of comparable to this big hunk of metal that yeah. I, that I Did have. Did
2: This is kind of a side note, but probably of use to some of our uh, listeners that the new Airs, the Thunderbolt connector on there, can only drive one external monitor. It's like a low power. Yeah, I saw that Thunderbolt. So you can't actually daisy chain monitors. Oh no, uh, which because is, which I, is worth,
0: <laughs> that's what I'd want to do with this little eleven-inch. Yeah, computer.
2: well, that's you know that's worth knowing because I was considering you know what would I potentially get just get a. Uh, Uh, an air and then have a couple of monitors slaved off of it and apparently you can't so
0: yeah i I think i'm going to use it as intended i mean i i my my ideal setup is an imac with an external cinema display plugged into it and Mm -hmm. that's my central hub and then my roaming computer is a portable which was a 15 inch now it's an 11 inch air and then i have a an ipad you know an iphone so that's uh that's sort of the ecosystem here i don't want to I need something that's always on so I can't have the air as like my central thing because it's serving my main computer serving up all my media and all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, um, serious digression digression, and uh, rat hole, but this episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com. As we've been telling you, they're the fast and easy way to publish a high quality website or blog. We've got an easy-to-use UI, so if you know what you're doing or if you're just getting started, you can build a professional-looking slick website or a blog, and there is a difference. for your company, for yourself, for your family, get everything done. If you know CSS or if you don't know CSS, cascading style sheets, if that's foreign or a foreign language to you, you don't have to know it or you can know it. If you do know it, you can get in there and tweak with it and, and customize your presence. If you don't know it, Squarespace will do it all for you. And they've got hundreds of design templates that you can pick from. You can pick one and then start editing it to make it match your needs and then launch it. They've got a blog module. They've got uh, Twitter widgets. They've got a Flickr uh, the module in there. They've got forums. They've got forms that you can build, all kinds of stuff in there, basically anything you could possibly want, even access from your iPhone to log in and update your, your, your application or your, your website on the go. It's all there for you. And if you would like to... Um, get a 14-day free trial, you can just head over to squarespace.com and get it. You can get that. It's it's free. You can try it. There's no commitment necessary. It's a month-to-month kind of thing. And after you try it, of course, you don't need a credit card, like I said. You can just try it out, build your website if you like it. After you try it, you can check out their annual plans, and you can get savings of up to 30% off your Squarespace account for six months. And just head over to squarespace.com forward slash twip, Um, And then use the offer code TWIP7, that's TWIP7, TWIP7 for 10% off your Squarespace account for three months. So squarespace.com slash TWIP, and then use the offer code TWIP7 for 10% off your Squarespace account for three months. All right, guys, let's get into the listener Q&A. This is a segment where our guests answer questions that came in from the web via our Facebook... Uh, group, our website over at thisweekinphoto.com, um, our Twitter using the hashtag TwipQuestions. And if you'd like to s- submit your questions for future shows, just shoot it over to us um, using that hashtag and we'll find it. And we may pick yours to answer on a future episode. But question one is from Double Omar. He came from Twitter or this question comes for Twitter and he says uh, what are your takes on matrix metering technology advances and program modes in pro photography and he th- want to throw this to you first you I mean you, you got to nail your exposures like like mo- all of us have to nail our exposures but you have those your you never know where you're gonna be do you rely on the you know the targeting computer to you know or do you turn it off and use your use your brain
1: Good question. I am actually a matrix-slash-evaluative metering guy um, because it's fast and it works. Um, for the for the environments that I'm in, most of the things are within two stops of, of, of you know, on the high side to the low side mm-hmm. unless I'm doing something fairly extreme. Uh, so it's pretty easy. I know exactly how to meter. Um, I used to do spot metering. Um, because in the film days, there just was I don't know less room for error. Yeah. Now, if I kind of screw up, I, I have a little of a of a safety net. But the reality is that you know these metering modes are pretty darn good. They're pretty good, but you still have to understand how they work and why they work a certain way. They are still trying to arrive at an 18 percent gray exposure, assuming that everything adds up to that. And you. You still have to use your brain a little bit. Yeah, you, you still have to use your brain. Um, but uh, in what way?
0: When you say you have to use your brain, you mean you, the computer doesn't know that you are trying to get those that beautiful red sunset, right? And, and if if there's foreground material there, it's going to try to balance everything to make it all even, potentially blowing out the sky, that kind of thing, yeah. right?
1: It's uh, it's yeah. I mean, it, it still assumes that everything that's being selected for metering is still adding up to an 18 percent average uh, so i still have to look at a scene and think oh, what's the most important area of the scene what can i blow out if if i have to what, what can i make black if i have to yeah. so i still have to make some decisions and overall um i still look at a scene and think you know what it's two-thirds of a stop over 18 percent gray as an average
0: yeah, Ron. Yeah. Ron Brinkman. What, what about you? Are you are you a manual purist, or do you you use the technology?
2: No, I can't. Man, I, I still. I mean, I get that if you do this day in and day out, you can look at a shot and say, okay, that's going to be a f eight and the you know particular ISO and di- all, you know all that stuff in. But realistically, yeah, I re- I totally rely on my camera to get get there. And I'll admit that a lot of times I'll be looking at the back after I take the shot, and mm-hmm. trying to see what it. You know, especially if you're doing outdoor photography, um, you know, Andy can certainly talk to this too. Where you've got this you know, ridiculous dynamic range in certain situations. You know, this last trip to Canada only underscored that. Where you know it's a lot of woods, a lot of wooded areas. There's plenty of dark, dark shadows, but you get these bright, blown out skies. And trying to balance those two, and and, and it's something that I think a lot of. I've talked to novice photographers. They don't quite get when they think that they're setting their camera up to sort of evaluate the scene. They kind of have some sense that it's going to be able to bring the sky and the foreground uh, into, into the same exposure range, and it's not doing that. It's still just using it to set those basic parameters for the entire image. And you just kind of have to adjust as well. I think that the biggest thing that you're going to see that's going to change, this is going to be better live histograms, it's going to be a lot easier to look at the scene and just sort of say, "Okay, I get, I can see better that if I drop my exposure down a little bit more, then I can get most of the sky brightness in without completely crushing my blacks down to non-existence." Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, but yeah, I think you, you got to rely on sort of the cameras getting the starting point and then adjusting from there.
0: Awesome. All right, let's move on to question number two. Uh, Listener Pamela Atkinson asks, what's the best way to get the cleanest long exposure images taken at night? When taking long exposures at night, I heard if I keep my shutter open long, I can get more detailed, quote, bright images, but at the cost of noisy images. On the other hand, if I increase the ISO to have a faster shutter speed, doesn't that also produce noisy images? What's your approach? Ron, we'll throw it to you first
2: yeah I'm not an expert on it and it's actually an interesting question because she's absolutely right that either situation is going to start to introduce noise you know I think people are if you're accustomed to shooting in daylight uh, or in reasonably well lit scenarios you know that you can drop your ISO down uh, and it'll eliminate grain to a large extent but uh, even if you're shooting at ISO 100 and you do an extraordinarily long exposure, like bulb exposure, and, and use a remote to keep your shutter open for a minute or two, you're still going to see plenty of noise starting to show up. The, the little sensors um, start to overload or get you know randomness showing up. So I don't really know where that trade-off is of doing it. I, my my gut feeling is still shooting at a lower ISO and, uh, and doing a longer exposure is still going to get you better images, but it would be interesting to see where that kind of trade off is. I guess the other thing that you can do if it's not a moving subject, if you just want to do a low light exposure of a very static scene, uh, you can do multiple exposures and kind of layer them together to kind of remove the, the noise. Right,
0: right. What about you, Andy? What you got? any uh, tips on long exposures for Pamela?
1: Yeah, th- th- two things. The first is that make sure you've got the dark frame subtraction turned on or the mm-hmm. long exposure Noise reduction turned on on your camera, and what this does is it takes two photographs. So let's say you take a five-minute exposure; it'll it'll stay open for five minutes. So it'll shut off, and then it'll take another five-minute exposure, but without um, it's, it's essentially like taking a photograph with the, with the lens cap on. And then it identifies the hot pixels and it subtracts them out of the the, the, the frame. Um, so that's the first thing you absolutely need to do. And the second thing is that you have to d- determine what is driving the photograph. Like, do you want star trails? Do you want a long uh, trail? Or do you want them to be fast, like like, like a nice and sharp uh, star? Yeah. Or do you want, you know, moving across the sky? So determine if, whether a longer exposure time is actually going to benefit you or not. Um, the reality is that both types, and, in my experience, which is, Boost up the ISO or increase your shutter time. Basically, you're going to yield somewhat similar-looking noise, noisy images. Um, certain cameras are better than others, but all things being equal, I'm not sure that, that uh, you're going to see enough of a difference to really warrant um, having to worry about this too much. I would like to uh, try to get effects that I can't get in any other way. Um of, of, for example, I want long star trails, um, and there's no other way to do it without, you know, you can yes, you can do image stacking. What a pain! Uh, but there are other things that are really cool, like photographing the coast at night for an hour or 30 minutes, mm-hmm. and um, and getting this wonderful silky looking water because of all the movement. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I think that's neat. But you, you should figure out what's driving your your need for night photography. Whether it's you know sharp stars star trails, or what, what have you.
0: And now, are you deploying, when you do that kind of photography, Andy, are you deploying any like neutral density filters so you can get longer exposures?
1: Uh, no, that would be during the day yeah. if I wanted to do that. But no, typically not. Um, I, I'm usually balancing the two. Mm-hmm. Um, either I want a really long exposure or a somewhat long exposure. Uh, and then I'll stack them together. Gotcha. Uh, it is a pain. But – so in other words, if you could say I wanted ISO 100 or ISO 800, I'd probably be in that 100, 200, 400 range myself because I do want a little bit longer star trails. Okay. All right,
0: last questioner question is from listener Roger M. He says, Are there any genres of photography or certain shooting situations where film is actually superior to digital digital, perhaps in resolution or detail or some other metric? And I would tie this into question the last question too, like with long exposures, is is film better than digital when doing a long exposure, or what other situations where you might want to pick up a roll of film to get the shot rather than pick up your D three X? Andy, I'll throw it to you first. This is awesome.
1: I love this answer because I'm going to be hated by either side.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're taking the – this is Andy playing the role of Ron Brinkman.
1: (laughs) I'm evil. No, the answer is uh, coming from a guy who – I loved film. I I really did. I hate the workflow now. I can't stand it. But uh, up until a year ago, I shot with a 6 by 24 centimeter film camera. I shot three shots per roll out on safari it's superior because i can't get that resolution from one uh camera digital camera at least not that i can afford and i can't get it from stitching images because wildlife moves okay so that's a situation where a big huge piece of film is superior to digital um are there other situations like long exposures i don't think so because film has reciprocity failure uh, which means that something I could do in digital that might take me an hour might take me four hours in the film world. Yeah. Well, uh, define,
0: before you go forward, define what reciprocity failure is.
1: Yeah, it's basically uh, it's, uh, the exposure on a piece of film is not linear over time. So mm-hmm. as time increases, it's not like your exposure on that film is the, is at the same rate. So a one-second exposure – compared to a two-second exposure, doesn't mean the two-second exposure is twice as bright. It might only be a third brighter, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, at most films uh, that I used, i.e. Fuji, Velvia, Provia-type films, you would start to see reciprocity failure starting at around two seconds.
2: And specifically, you you end up seeing this weird artifacts that show up in bright areas where they they could even go dark Hmm. uh, after a period of time. I mean, the classic example is you can shoot a picture of the sun, and the center of it will actually go to black instead of being white. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ron, what's,
0: what's better, digital or film?
2: You know, I, I there's no way I could go back. I mean, I think that there. I haven't looked at the latest latest numbers, but it wouldn't surprise me if you could still make the case that film can capture a slightly higher dynamic range. Um, when it's all said and done, that your negative will have a little bit of nuance in the whites. And the thing with digital is when you clip to white, it's really clipped. Uh, and in that same sort of non-linearity that Andy talked about for exposures, you, you get that in the highlights on film as well, where maybe a little tiny bit of extra detail that's kept uh, in the brightest of the brights that you might be able to pull back out uh, as a post-process that maybe you couldn't do on digital. But, you know, generally these are edge case scenarios and, and the, the usability uh, of digital is just so much greater that yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. All
0: right. Uh, let's move on from that. But if you have questions for our panel, remember listeners, you can uh, just tweet us and just use the hashtag twip questions And you can submit your questions for future shows or you can get us on Google Plus or on our website or Facebook group, etc. Whatever works best for you. But it seems like Twitter has been working best for folks so far. But we'll keep an eye on all those channels. All right, we're at that time on the show where each guest can give their pick of the week. And remember, a pick can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it is photography-related. And Andy Biggs, I'm going to start with you since you haven't been on in a while.
1: What's your <laughs> pick? You know, I, uh, I think I might have actually done this one in the past, but the, uh, the Cinovate Atlas 10 slider, Hmm. what a cool what a cool tool um, for what I'm doing out and so on Safari, trying to take video of uh, the different accommodations and interior shots. Uh, it is a way of basically making video footage look like a higher end production. It's awesome.
0: Wow. Okay. So, I, so yeah. what is it doing? It's adding green and that kind of thing, or not not no, adding green? A, no, it's a hardware piece. So, yeah, what is it like it, a steady cam or what is it doing?
1: It's a slider that attaches the top to the top of a tripod yep. that's um, basically about two and a half feet long and allows you to just slide the camera from one side to the next. And it gives a little bit of movement to your video.
0: Oh, I've seen that. We, yeah. We've all seen it a gazillion times, right?
1: It's, it's overused sometimes, but uh, very, very, very cool product.
0: Very cool. See, and you're moving into the cinematography area, right? It's like
1: absolutely, step yeah. Step by
0: step by step, they were pulling you in. Yeah. Now, have you used this on like one of your safari shoots or or because yeah, it's got. I had imagine like every little piece of weight that you take with you, you have to justify it. And, I do. And I does do. this go with you?
1: It is. It is. Yeah. And it, with, with actually, they have a lighter weight version now. I want to try out.
0: Wow. So okay, yeah. and that's the Cinevate Atlas Ten. All right, and we'll put a we'll put a link to that in the show notes. A Cinevate Atlas 10 slider.
2: That's it. All right. Ron Brinkman, what's your pick? So I actually have a uh, a couple of picks. Um, the first is an iPhone app that a couple of buddies of mine have put together called Stash Picks. S-T-A-S-H-P-I-X. It's at StashPix com. Uh, it's pretty fun actually. It's sort of a I don't know if you're familiar with the term geocaching where people will go out and kind of hide Uh, physical objects in certain locations and then there's a whole sort of game framework where you go out and you try to find them based on GPS tracking and so on and so forth. Um, This is sort of a similar idea but just for photos where you can go to a certain location and leave a stash of photos that you either take there or you've taken somewhere else and you just want to leave there uh, and then other people that have this app on their iPhone can, uh, you know, poke around. And if they're within a certain radius of one of these stashes, they'll see the photos that have been hidden there. Oh, cool. Um, it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's pretty neat, you know. It, it, uh, and you can do all kinds of stuff. You could you could either, uh, uh, like, leave photos of yourself in random locations. And whenever other people come along, they'll, they'll see, see you or see some other photos you've left there. Or even, you know, the interesting thing is that basically you're... You're sort of freezing a moment in time, but also in space. And you could come back to that location a year later and see what you left a year earlier there or what other people have left. Uh, And they've done a lot of neat stuff. Like you can actually, if you create a stash in a certain location, you can monitor other people can contribute to this stash. So even if you leave a a little stash somewhere in, you know, the middle of downtown Paris, you can go back home and still see if other people are contributing to that stash. So it's kind of fun. Uh, it's it's you know a buck on the uh, app store, and it's it's going to be particularly fun if enough people start really using it. So uh, you know, I would I would encourage people to go out and play with it and start leaving little stashes all over. So e- that's except Andy,
0: pick. except Andy, Andy, uh, please don't leave any stashes around in random <laughs> places in
2: Africa. Don't <laughs> worry, to go find. <laughs> there's something kind of fun about this idea, though, of leaving a, a stash in the middle of nowhere, and then you know wondering how long it's going to take for somebody else to come along with this app and, and, and you know and finding that and leaving another photo there. And it, it seems like it could be months or years later, potentially. But there's something kind of fun to that. Yeah. So I think the you know, the middle of nowhere part of it is almost is compelling in some ways. Uh, Andy's
0: Andy's wringing his, his hands mischievously.
2: <laughs> yes. So uh, my other, go ahead, Ron. Um, who we will have on, obviously, to talk a little bit more about it. But there's this guy named Steve Simon. Who, who is that? Who is that guy? He's this photographer that uh done a few things here and there. But Steve is Steve is off somewhere in the in the wild. I don't know exactly where he's at for the next month. But his new book just came out. Very and cool. I, and, and I you have, have it in front of you, right? In front of me right now. It just showed up from Amazon the other day. It's called The Passionate Photographer. I have not actually had a chance to sit down and read it cover to cover. But I thumbed through it. And um, it's really... I didn't know what it was going to be about. I wasn't sure if it was going to be sort of a how-to book or something like that. But the best way I can characterize it is sort of... You know, we have this great opportunity where on this podcast, we just sort of get to sit down with great photographers like you guys and with Steve and, and all these other people and just kind of shoot the breeze with them yeah. and talk about their passion for photography as well as their technique and sort of what goes through their head. And as far as I can tell, this book is kind of like just being able to sit down with Steve and shoot the breeze about photography and really get the benefit of his years of experience uh, some of his techniques, but, you know, not just pure technical techniques because it's also about inspirations. It's not just Steve's photos. He's gotten a lot of other photographers and other, and, and, you know, just even examples from the art world that he's kind of peppered through this. So it's really, it's it feels like it's not at all uh, like a manual so much as it's just a, a book to get your head around. You know the passion of photography, and I think I think that's exactly what he set out to do, and it really reads like he's he's accomplished that. So definitely check it out on Amazon. Uh, it's out there. Buy it. Leave a review. I haven't left my review yet since I haven't read it yet, but I will. And like I said, we'll have Steve on to talk about it in depth once he gets back into wherever he's you know, back from wherever he's at. Very
0: cool. And I think I, I'll probably have my copy by then, and I will we'll, we'll grill Steve about it together when he comes on. Very cool. All right, and my pick, I actually have a pick and then a mini pick. Uh, my first pick is I'm speaking next month, I think I mentioned this before on the show, at the Maui Photo Festival. Nice. Um, it's being held at the beautiful Hyatt Regency Mau- Maui Resort and Spa. It's awesome. Nice. Um, I'm excited. I am really excited. It's a five-day festival. Um, it's 595 bucks, but TWIP listeners can save 100 bucks when you use the code, wait for it, TWIP. So at MauiPhotoFestival.com. Uh, it's awesome. It's going to be held, August, like I said, August 24th to 28th, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. They have all kinds of things there. They got helicopter tours, hula beach, luau's, all this crazy stuff going on That uh, that is going to be really exciting, and that is August 24th to 28th just go to mauiphotofestival.com uh, and use the listener use the code TWIP to save 100 bucks so that you can buy me a drink when we are when we're there. Awesome. <laughs> um, and my second pick is I mentioned this before I have I'm having a new love affair with my new MacBook Air. So the smallest computer I've ever owned, you know, aside from my phone or my iPad, but this thing is crazy. It, it's like you know when they say that At some points, technology and magic are indistinguishable. We're kind of there with this thing, at least for me, because I'm like looking at this and realizing how much power is in here and how big a solid-state drive is and how much RAM it has and how it can do pretty much everything I need to do, but it's in this little, tiny, little sliver of... A thing, you know. And Ron, you've had an air before, so you're you're used to this. Yeah, that's 13 inch,
2: and it's it is. It was pretty revolutionary whenever I got it.
0: Yeah, and I I, I mean I'm going from the 15 inch MacBook Pro to so you
2: decided to go with the 11. I decided to go with the 11.
0: Yeah, Joseph
2: Lanaski talked me into it. So how I, does that feel for? It's not ever too small, or what's the? No, it's it's not. I mean, so far it's awesome. It's just the 13 inch, just because it's like it's my main computer. It's the one I'm on all the time. Yeah. 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 For what
0: I I, I figured, for the stuff that I do with a portable computer, like I said, I have this main workstation that I do heavy lifting stuff on. Um, And the main stuff that I do on a portable is when I'm traveling, is email and that kind of thing. And you know, some WordPress stuff or whatever. So it's not heavy, heavy lifting, maybe some light Photoshop or Lightroom stuff on there. And it runs all those apps with ease. So it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Like I said, I only had it for two days, so I'm still getting used to it, but all my stuff's in it. It's running in the latest operating system. All my, all my files have been synced to it and it's happy. So (laughs) it's, uh, it's, you know, I'm in that honeymoon period. So maybe the next show, the honeymoon will be over and I'll be, you know, Talking bad about it, but so far it's been good. <laughs> so far it's been good. Nice. All right, gents, we are at the end of another episode of Whip. Um, Ron, where can people go to find out where you're where you're at online and what you're uh, up to?
2: My my blog is digitalcomposting.com. and I actually just put up a post. Uh, I guess it was early this week. It kind of talks a little bit about um, that Lytro camera, mm. you know, the the focus.
0: Uh, Who I'm talking to right now. We're trying to get an interview scheduled with yeah, those guys. Very good.
2: Thanks. Yeah, so I did a little post about some of the ramifications of that. Not so much specifically about that as sort of where a lot of this kind of technology is going to be going. Go so check cool. that out. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, some of us just sort of rambling on some of the, because basically what it gives you is some more information about sort of the the distance from the camera for every pixel, because mm-hmm. right? you can sort of back-derive all of this stuff. So a lot of the tricks that we've done in visual effects now become doable on any kind of photo. And everybody kind of talks about, okay, it's, you, know, you can refocus your photo after the fact. But I almost think that's just the tip of the iceberg, because now you can do things like, all right, I know that this tree is farther away than this one, so I can do a color correction based on the distance of the trees... And add more atmosphere into the scene. Make it look like it's a foggier day than it was. So th- I think there's a, there's a ton of ramifications that people aren't really thinking about. So anyway, go visit my blog for that. And uh, then uh, Ron Brinkman on Twitter. And you're also on Google+, are you not? I am on Google+, and I still don't quite know other than just telling people I'm on Google+, and you have to find me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you just type your name with a I plus so. in front of it, it shows up. So. All
2: right, well, yeah, go do that. Yeah,
0: do that and catch up with Ron on Google+. And Andy Biggs, where are you at online, and where will you be next in the world?
1: Yeah, I'm at uh, andybiggs.com, and I take off. I just got back a few days ago, and I'm taking off in another month for Rwanda and Kenya. I'll be photographing mountain gorillas and the wildebeest migration.
2: Oh, that's awesome. Be a blast.
1: Be a blast. By the way, Ron. Mm. Uh, we're, I'm going backwards here. Um, speaking of Lytro, I actually took one of their cameras on safari. Oh, did oh, you? Wow. Do tell. So, so you know, it's it's a bit late in the program to talk about this, but uh, and I'm not sure what I can talk about, but it was fun. We had fun with it.
2: And, All right, and it worked. We, we, just, should, just, <laughs> we should chat some more offline here. Yeah, we'll we'll
0: use that as a teaser for the episode where we uh, where actually interview them. But let us know. Well, just tell me now. Uh, did you leave that adventure happy or sad?
1: Happy.
0: Okay, good. That's what I wanted. <laughs> 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 That's our cliffhanger for people to hang on for that light episode. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. All right, and uh, Twip listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the Twip universe, you can head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Google Plus profile, our, Fanbook, our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and much, much more. And if you haven't already, grab your copy of our free 10-Twip Tips ebook. You can find that at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash e And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com, my Google Plus page at, wait for it, fvj.me slash plus, or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap